Thank you, Sister Chambers. And I want to thank the committee and Sister Elledge and Sister Peters for asking me to come. I feel like I have received far more than I will ever be able to give. And I needed what I have received. Uh, it's been a joy to be with you. I like what I see. And your worship and your appearance, I believe, is pleasing to God. And today, I'm supposed to talk about an honorable image. Um, when I wore that peach-colored suit last night, I said, I feel like a big orange pumpkin. <laughs> and today, I feel like a watermelon. <laughs> but <laughs> I, will, I have never talked on this subject before. I believe in it, an honorable image. But uh, I was at, uh, in Colorado a couple weeks ago, and this uh, Lady's Auxiliary president there, she said, you know, my dad always told us when we went out, he said, don't forget who you represent. And it was sobering. And first, uh, one thing he meant, you are a part of our family, and I want you not to bring disgrace or any questionable attitude toward our family. And then he cautioned them about the local church. You're a part of this church and do not, do not bring a reproach on it or cause anyone to think badly of it by your conduct and, and, and out there. And uh, beyond that, even to cause any question toward people's attitude toward the Lord himself. And so he cautioned her. He said, don't forget who you represent. And uh, I feel like we need to remember that also. Second Corinthians 5 and 20 said, for we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors never have a day off. Regardless of where they go, 24 hours a day, they are representing their country. Uh, they're always... They're representing, not, not a part, they're in the world, but not of the world. They're in that country, but not of it. And they're there for, uh, to represent not only the country back home, but the citizens who are there in that country. I've gone by some of the uh, places where our ambassadors live. But everything they do and say reflects back upon the nation they represent, how they dress, how they eat, how they spend their leisure time. Uh, people's eyes are upon them. And in order to serve their country, they have forfeited certain freedoms and assumed certain responsibilities. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, What? Know you not that you are the, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's a big order. Every true Christian is an ambassador for Christ, a walking, talking, 24-hour-a-day representative of the King of Kings. And whether you or not you open your mouth, you are communicating volumes about your Savior by your looks, by your actions, and we've heard so much about this, and I needed it, your attitudes.
It's an awesome thing to think about, isn't it? And uh, first, I'm, I'm going to talk nitty-gritty first, and then I may just open up <laughs> from my heart. But uh, our looks. We are the king's daughters, and I feel like we should be neat in appearance, modestly dressed, conforming to the standards of holiness, set apart and distinct, and uh, ambassadors and people, if you go to apply for a job, they will tell you how to dress. And uh, you, you wear a uniform, and in order to have that job, you, you conform. And uh, your pastors and our leaders have a right to tell you how to dress. I believe that. And uh, we need to not uh, buck the current and try to live on the edge. I, I don't know, when we were pastoring, we always had these borderline people. They lived just as close to the edge as they could. And they, and they didn't really want to separate from the world, and just as close as they could get to it, uh, they lived there. And uh, they took on every little fashion and everything as, just as quickly as it come out. And, and they, they, you could tell they, they were uh, chafing under it. But uh, I've, I've used this many times, godliness with contentment is great gain. You can reach a place, ladies, where you are content, and I know many of you have. You are content to, to be a Christian and to look like one and to separate and to wear the right length sleeves and the right length hems and to sew up the slits and, and wear your hair and not cut it. And you, you can do all this and you can be content doing it. Uh, when you go to the store to buy a dress, you, you can just go down that line and think, no, I don't want that, I don't want that, I don't want this. You never even entertain the thought of buying something immodest. You can reach that place. You can. And uh, a lot of, this, I, I, I don't, you, you will notice I do not wear jewelry, but I don't make a hobby horse of that. But, and when I came into the church, I wore some jewelries. But through, through the years, it's faded out, and I don't miss it a bit. I don't miss it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the closer I can walk to the Lord, the better. I remember uh, when we came from Michigan, Michigan, uh, uh, in 1955, we moved from Michigan to uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, we were under the teaching of the Williamses, who were very strict in holiness teaching. And uh, uh, in Michigan at that time, it was all right to wear your sleeves right here, just so you had a sleeve in your dress. So when I came down there, um, I thought, well, I'm going to be under this area, and they believe your sleeves ought to be here. So I'll just do that. And uh, I was in this church, and uh, some of the people said, well, uh, we wear that when we go to church, but when we're on the job, when we go to the office, we wear sleeves here. I thought, well, how inconsistent. Are you dressing that way to to show each other that you're going to be modest or, or are you going to, are you dressing that way to be a witness out in the world? I, I didn't understand that. I believe there's a consistency that we need that uh, wherever we are, we should be dressed modestly. And if we're going to the grocery store or if we're on vacation or whatever, uh, be the same. 
we're not, we don't dress up holy to show each other at church and then go out uh, throughout the community and just dress any old way. Uh uh. That's inconsistent. And uh, I believe the Lord wants us, I'm going to get off this in a little bit now, so I'm just nitty gritty. Uh, I believe He wants us to be moderate. Uh, I, I think he has, wants us to be moderate in our style and in our hairdos and uh, remember who we represent. We don't have to take on all the fashions of the world and we don't, we don't neither do we have to just be like nuns. <laughs> but you know, I have an admiration for the nun in a way. And you know, I was sorry I was just really sorry when they changed their habit. They represented something. And uh, I, I hated to see them say it was all right to not eat fish on Friday. I hate to see people drop standards even if there's no reason for it. I mean, I like traditions, and I like to hold them. Well, anyway, our appearance. We are ambassadors and... Uh, we want to have an honorable image. And then in our actions, uh, Ecclesiastes 10 and 1 says, Dead flies cause the ointment of the ap ap apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in the reputation for wisdom and honor. And uh, if we're a Christian, sometimes our, our actions can speak so loud. And, and it we're supposed to be in the reputation of honor and uh, so we don't want to let down remember it's a 24 hour a day every day responsibility we've already this has already been discussed first first thessalonians 4 and 4 speaks of knowing how to possess our vessel in sanctification and honor uh, my husband was counseling a young person in our church one time she'd gone one in the church borderline one and uh, she'd gone to a rock and roll concert, and they, you know, she was all the time doing questionable things. So he called her in the office, and we were talking to her. And she said, it's nobody's business what I do. It's my life. And I stopped her, and I said, Kim, it is the church's business what you do. It is because you're a part of the body of Christ. And what we do reflects what the church represents. And your life is not your own. You are bought with a price. And it is the church's business what you do. It is. <clears throat> and I don't want to, to cast reflection on the rest of the church. Hebrews uh, uh, 6 speaks of those who have fallen away and brought reproach and crucified the Lord afresh and then the it goes on to say, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. So Romans 2 also refers to the rewards of the wicked and the righteous. And God says he will render to every man according to his deeds. And then he gives the promise to them, those that who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor they're going to get an immortality. They're going to receive eternal life. And it's just, uh, sometimes, I was telling some, someone the other day, sometimes this walk is just a patient continuance. 
and a consistency. And we dare not drop it. Uh, but he goes on in Romans 2 and 10, says, but glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good. So I want to have an honorable image. I was... Uh, uh, since Brother Anderson's been gone, I have uh, had to deepen my spiritual life, my reading of the Word, my devotion. Uh, every morning, this is my routine at home. I get up, I put on my coffee, and while it's perking, I pray. I pray till I feel like I've touched the Lord and ready for the day. Then I go in and I do my Bible reading. And uh, I use the daily walk. I don't know if you all use that or not. It's put up with the navigators, but you read your Bible through in a year and has a devotion every day, has some wonderful things in it. And then uh, <clears throat> I take other books and I read like a chapter a day and I sit there and I drink my coffee and read my Bible and I read other books. And I sit there just as long as I want to. Do you envy me? <laughs> Well, there's nobody there but me. And I don't have that much responsibility. When I get up, I get busy, and I go probably till 11 or 12 at night. But I sit there, and, I, and I, I, I've had to do this. I've had to deepen myself, and I, I could never have made it. Uh, and I, was, um, and I, I had never, I had never uh, sat and read the Word and wept and cried. Never. I love the Word of God. I always loved Bible study. I always loved teaching at Sunday school. I loved it. And I never, our pastor would step in the platform, step in the pulpit at, at 7.30, and he would sing a chorus, and sometimes he would go till 10 o'clock, Bible study. And I loved it. But, and I read the Word, and I read the Bible through, but I never sat and wept and cried. And I'd read it and say, oh, that is beautiful. So God has deepened me, all things work together for good. But uh, I've had to do that. Uh, I was sitting there in the local church, grieving and, and, and just reaching for God. And uh, all I was hearing was evangelism and, and hyper-worship. And, and I was grieving. I, couldn't, I just couldn't feel that way. So I had to get down and get it myself, and you can. And so uh, if anyone, uh, well, if you're going to make it, you better learn to dig it out yourself. Well, so I've been reading various books, and uh, I read something uh, last summer, and it just really, really blessed me, so I'm going to try to pass on some of it. This was written by Dr. William Osler. And uh, he was, uh, professor of medicine at John Hopkins and uh, as a departing member of the faculty and one of the most notable speakers of his day, I think it was the late 1800s, he was asked to give the valedictory address to inspire young graduate physicians and give them some useful advice to carry on their professional careers. And uh, he was reading from the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. And uh, 
he was thinking, what am I going to tell these graduates from the medical school? And he was reading this, and Marcus Aurelius wrote this. It was a little deep for me. I had to kind of think this over. It says, thou must be like a promontory of the sea, against which, though the waves beat continually, yet it both itself stands, and about it are those swelling waves stilled and quieted. You've got to be able to stand out there, young men. And uh, he said, you've got to have a poise and a self-possession, and you need calm strength to withstand whatever problems or difficulties that life may bring. And he noticed and he thought about these eager, inexperienced young physicians, and some of them were anxious and unsure, and some of them were too sure for their own good. And they would, of course, meet the inevitable trials and tribulations of professional life and the setbacks and the disappointments, perhaps even failure and disillusion. <clears throat> and it was important that neither falter nor despair at such times, but that they carry on with courage and with patience. So he was reading what another man, a Roman ruler, had written and what he had said on his deathbed. And this word grabbed me. I hadn't even known this word. Maybe some of you more educated know it, but I didn't. And this man was on his deathbed, and they asked him to sum up the philosophies of his life. And he answered with one single dramatic word. And it was equana Midas. It's a Latin word. And our, our interpretation of it is equanimity. And equanimity means a calm patience, strength to accept the trials of life and rise superior to them. And it, it ranks with another word, which I wasn't too familiar with, but I did understand it a little more, called imperturbability imperturbability it means you're not disturbed means coolness and presence of mind under all circumstances calmness amid storm clearness of judgment in moments of grave peril immobility impassiveness or to use uh it's a quality which is 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 most now he's talking to these young doctors he said it's a it's a quality that's most appreciated by the laity but they often must misunderstand it when you stand like that. You're calm, quiet, collected. But he said, if you show uh, that you are indecisive and you're worried and flustered and flurried in, an, in emergencies, those patients are going to lose confidence in you. So you have a tremendous responsibility to stand under pressure. And uh, he told them to cultivate this quality of equanimity. <clears throat> it's a, it's a, a desirable attitude, he says, but it's difficult to attain, and yet it's very necessary in success and in failure. Uh, he said, our natural temperament has much to do with its development, but a clear knowledge of our relationship to our fellow creatures and to the work of life is also indispensable. And I thought this was good. He said, one of the first essentials in securing a good-natured equanimity is not to expect too much of the people amongst whom you dwell. 
if you don't expect too much of people, you're not going to be too disappointed. But uh, there's a need of infinite patience and understanding. And I thought, oh God, yes, I do need equanimity. I need it, Lord, for the pressures and for the things that we face. And uh, <clears throat> uh, if one, this is what Harry Emerson Fosdick says, if, if one is to come through difficult, and experience, difficult experiences unembittered, unspoiled, still a real person, one needs deep resources. And that's why I've dug in. And uh, there are times I feel low. There are times in our life when God just gives us a special grace. Have you, have you ever had it? You didn't know how you're going to get through something, but I, I have actually prayed. I said, God, today give me a special grace. I did that the day of my husband's funeral. I knew that I was going to go down there to the church, and he would be stretched out in front of the platform, in front of the pulpit he filled for 33 years. And uh, I said, God, I was in the room putting on my dress. We were ready to go down. I was dreading it, of course. I said, God, I raised my hands in that room, and I said, God, I want you to give me a special grace today. I want to bear my grief with dignity, and I want to bear it with hope. I don't want to fall apart and create a scene. But I want you to give me a special grace today. He did, and he will. <clears throat> I was able to laugh when they talked about his little personality quirks. I laughed at his funeral, and I raised my hands, and I worshipped. God helped me to do that. But courage is power with grace. Proverbs speaks of the virtuous woman, and it says, Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. But Proverbs also says, Before honor is humility, and honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. There is a special, this special grace, I believe, causes a woman in the realm of the spirit to rise to their highest idealism and to make a divine difference. Striving to make life better and to make tomorrow better than today. We women can do that. We can do that by the grace of God. And Psalms 84 and 11 says, For the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. And then I thought, oh, this is good. And no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O oh, Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. And there are situations when we must have this special grace that sustains us and grants us courage in the face of conflict and gives us the patience and the fortitude to endure. Patience, I read this, is accepting a difficult situation without giving God a deadline when he's going to remove it. Commitment in the face of conflict produces character. It is in times of conflict and testing that our attitudes are on display. 
making it very difficult to maintain an honorable image sometimes. And he is saying, it will be maintained only by a special grace given to you from God and not any quality within yourself except faith and fortitude, and that comes from God too. Now, there are some women that I know that they, they're just, they just have a grace about them. Uh, Sister Chambers is one. She's always a lady. I never see her ruffled. I never see her disturbed. And I don't. I, I've been around her a lot. I've never seen her uh, in temper, or I've never seen any spirit really in her. And it, sometimes I think it comes more natural for some than others. Uh, we had a couple girls in our church, and they were just always ladies. They always had the sweetest spirits, and never my husband never had to correct them, or you know just. Anything you know, preach, you just did, and and uh, they always were so kind and gentle, and always had these ladylike attitudes. Well, I grew up with brothers, and and <laughs> I was a tomboy, <laughs> and I've I've had to cultivate trying to be a lady. I I want to be a lady. I want to be a Pentecostal lady. I, I want to. I, I want to represent what, what we stand for, but more than that, I want to represent what God wants me to be. And um, I have really, I have really, really had to work on attitudes. And I, I came here, I needed an attitude change, I really did. Now some, some think, oh, Sister Anderson, you're handling this well. And just last couple, week ago, I guess I was at headquarters and one of the wives said, you're doing good, aren't you, Sister Anderson? And I said, on the outside, yes, but on the inside, no. And uh, I was out in Colorado, and these ladies from Oklahoma were visiting their son there, too, and they were talking about it. And um, I, I don't know if I've, re if I've projected this in reflections. I've tried to keep reflections in my from the editor. I've tried to keep that positive. I don't want to pour my grief and my troubles out to anybody. I want to keep it positive. And so this girl said, well, if I ever lose my husband, I'm going to travel and do things like Sister Anderson. She's a role model. And I thought, oh, God, is that what I'm projecting? I might be that way on the outside, but I'm not that way on the inside. I have struggled. I have struggled like few of you know. You have not seen me in my points of despair. You have not seen me laying on my rug on my tummy and crying. I couldn't cry anymore. When I, when I lost my, I don't want to dwell on this, but when I lost my husband, everybody at the church said, hey, she's handling this good. I can't believe Sister Anderson's doing this well. And uh, I thought I was too. I didn't know I was in shock. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to say this for some widows' benefit here, and if you have some widows, you'll maybe understand them a little better. I, I did think I was just really doing good, and I, I, I didn't realize I was in shock. You are for a while. And uh, I remember the first time I crashed, uh, I'd come home from church, and there wasn't anything that, dis I didn't feel like I was that disturbed. I crawled into my husband's big old lazy boy chair, and I somehow felt his strength there and I cried till the wee hours of the morning. And I 
is he? You know, we don't really know a lot about a heaven. We don't really know what they're doing, how much they know. And uh, so I got it out of my system. Every time I'd feel bad, I'd go in that chair. And that was my place of prayer and seeking the Lord. And then it got worse. And I found myself on the hay hay sent me a rug, a, a, a wool, lamb's wool rug. And it's white, but it's washable, so I just use it and have it on the floor. And I don't care who steps on it. But anyway, I graduated downward to the rug. I lay on my tummy and I cry. I seek the Lord. And um, not a, it wasn't only my husband's death, but other things just kept coming, you know. And uh, always, I want to tell you this. Uh, always there are all these, with widows, there are always these first things that you have to hurdle. There's one first after another, after another, after another. And you think, I've got to brace myself. I've got to be strong. I've got to go through this. And you get through it, and then there's the next thing. And uh, just bing, bing, bing after the first couple of months, just one thing after another, after another. And I always will be grateful to my little sister-in-law here, Barbara. Uh, I, I got through one thing and I said, I'm just dreading this next thing. And she said, well, why go? Why do it? I thought, well, I've always been the strong pastor's wife and I've always, you know, I felt like I had to go through anything. I had to be strong for my husband, for my church. And, and I, I just, if I didn't do this, it would look bad. And she said, if it was me, I wouldn't do it. And uh, <clears throat> she said, you don't have to handle everything. And I had learned that you don't have to handle everything. There are some times, I don't advocate this, and there's a few times I've done it, but there are some times that I have said, I'm sorry, I can't handle that. And so I'm not going to maybe go this place or do this thing. You can say that. You don't have to be ugly. But you can just say, I'm sorry, I can't handle that. And you know what you can handle, but don't, don't give in to yourself and baby yourself and don't handle nothing. <coughs> Excuse me. Sooner or later, you're going to have to handle it. So just go on. But uh, I, I don't want to give the image that I am so strong. People would come to me after Brother Anderson passed away, and they said, oh, you'll make it, you're strong. And I thought, yes, but I'm not as strong as you think I am. And because of that, they didn't really offer much help because I'm strong, you know, they said. And so it's, it's just an individual walk anyway with you and the Lord. But uh, anyway, the Lord will give grace and glory he will do it. And uh, I read this the other day and thought it was so good. It says, a picture frame, seemingly an afterthought to the picture itself, can either help or hinder the viewer's appreciation of the picture. A bad frame draws attention to itself. A good frame highlights that which it displays. In a similar way, certain qualities of life adorn the gospel. 
integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech, obedience, fidelity. And you can frame your witness with a life that exemplifies these virtues, helping others realize that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we can live soberly in regard to ourselves, righteously toward others, and godly toward God in this present world. So we want to be the right frame, and we want to adorn the gospel. Another thing I read, uh, uh, all, of, all of these revelations and things are not my own, I read. But um, I was reading this about the way of escape. You know, the Lord says with every temptation, he'll make a way of escape. And uh, the way of escape that you might be able to bear it. And escape in its original use means to be lifted above the problem enough to get a more detached perspective. This is the escape God has for us, not running away. He will pick us up and give us an objective view of our situation that we will be able to bear it, not run away from it. That is the way of escape, above it. And that's our attitudes. Another thing I read that I thought was really good says here's some guidelines on how to handle an anticipated situation. Write it down. If you know something's coming up and it's going to be hard to get through, write it down, spell it out. And then number two, write your natural response, how you feel about it, what you would do in your own spirit. And then number three, write your prayerfully planned response with God's help. Plan ahead to glorify him in a difficult situation. We must glorify God in our body, in our spirit. In our spirit, many, we can dress ever so holy, but if our spirit isn't right, it just, it taints the whole thing. And people uh, are looking at our attitudes, as Sister Kozowski so well stated. And this, this has been so rich. And uh, I'm going to read this uh, in closing. This Sister Chambers, this is Sister Chambers' little writing. I, I borrowed it from her years ago, and I thought it was so beautiful, and I hadn't read it for a long time, and I typed it out, and I thought, I need to read this more often. But she gave it to me. It's written by Barbara Martin, and it says, God, grant me a beautiful spirit. God grant me that I may have a beautiful spirit. May I never become hardened and bitter. I never thought I'd have, ever have to fight bitterness and hatred. I've had to fight it. He says, may I never become hardened and bitter, but look to each day with the expectancy of something newer and more wonderful than the day before. Allow me to retain self-respect, but ne let me never be ruled by pride. Let me sow cheerfulness in the presence of gloom and hope 
in an atmosphere of despair. Let me see myself as I am, that I may, may work toward becoming what I ought to be. Take away all my stubbornness, but implant a fierce determination for a worthy cause. Give me a spirit of forgiveness. I never thought I'd have much trouble with that, but I've had some trouble. Give me a spirit of forgiveness for others and help me to forgive myself of the sins which I have been forgiven. Let me be kind. That's a big order. Help me to know and live the genuine way of unselfishness to love others as myself. May I always have the spirit of Christ within me. Without it, I could never reach my goal for his spirit is the only real source of love and beauty. God grant me a beautiful spirit. We've been singing that chorus, I want to live the way he wants me to live. The verse says, there's been times when giving and loving brought pain, and I said I'd never let it happen again. But I found out that loving is well worth the risk and that even in losing, you win. He has shown us that only through dying we live and he gave when it seemed there was, he had nothing to give. He loved when loving meant heartache and loss and he forgave from an old rugged cross. Let's stand and let's sing that chorus. I want to live the way he wants me to live. I want to give until.
you have enjoyed what Sister Anderson has said to us. And I thought as she spoke about some of the areas of her life that she had to work on, you know, we may think sometimes that the other person is never bothered with these things. But we all have our own personal problems that we have to talk to the Lord about. And if we don't, then it just gets us into trouble. But I appreciate this a lot this morning. Now, before you start moving around, I want to say a thing or two here, and I want you to listen. Uh, the ladies' committee, the speakers, and Sister Manning, uh, Sister Chambers and Sister Manning, are supposed to be down at the Howard Johnson's for a luncheon. This is the one time that we try to get them all together. These committee members work hard all the year, and uh, they do a lot of things that you don't know anything about, and they deserve just a little time of fellowship. Uh, one time during our meeting, that's not a lot, but, and we're so rushed for time. But we would like for you just to uh, go down, girls, as quickly as you can. There will be some cars around. And Sister Lewis, would you see that Sister Gazowski and Sister Loretta Earl have a ride down to the auditorium? They're back in the back, both of them. All right. Uh, we have some prayer requests we're going to do before we leave because I feel that there's some needs that we need to pray about. One of them is... Uh, uh, a man uh, that is has melanoma, Gene Thompson. I understand that this uh, man's sister died of cancer. This family does not know the Lord, but they live neighbors to one of our Pentecostal families, and they ask that we pray at this meeting for their son. And remember that. Now that is Gene Thompson, and he has melanoma. Then we have another request. We prayed about this yesterday, but we were asked to mention it again today, and that's Sharon Hartzell. That's the one that's waiting for the liver transplant. Then uh, we have uh, another request for Sister Tar. I believe that's the pastor's wife at Pacific. She's having problems, and they request us to pray for her. Let's take these three requests to the Lord right now before we're dismissed. Lord, you see each one of these. You know all about us, Lord, and you know the need in these hearts. You see Gene Thompson. You see the mother and the father. You know all about it, Lord, and I ask you right now that you would touch that man, but touch their hearts, I pray. God, you know how to heal and you know how to move. You're a healer of all sicknesses and diseases. You see Sharon Hartzell, you know all about her. You're able to supply the need for her, God. 
Strengthen her in her body and have mercy, we pray. Touch her. And oh, God, you see, Sister Tar, you know all about her. Strengthen that mother, Lord. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. You're a healer. We ask that you would move. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.